Welcome to episode 149. Today, Dr. Margarita Calderon and Dr. Hector Montenero share how we can make any language lesson an SEL lesson as well. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Every cloud has. To teach the standards is just half of the curriculum. The other half are their social emotional skills students need to be aware, responsible, and rational beings. Yes, at home and in their communities, of course, but schools and teachers also play a tremendous role in teaching emotional intelligence. What better way than to integrate SEL with language and literacy instruction as Dr. Calderon and Dr. Montenero will share in this practical podcast. I recommend watching the YouTube version of this podcast as they share really helpful visuals throughout the conversation. Now, on to today's podcast. I am so excited to have Dr. Margarita Calderon back on the podcast. This is the third time she's back on the podcast. And one of our new favorites, Dr. Hector Monterero on the podcast. They will both be talking about their newest book called Empowering Long-Term English Learners with Social-Emotional Learning and Language and Literacy. You've got me both at, really three times, at working with long-term English learners, social-emotional learning, and language and literacy. I know this is going to be a book that teachers are going to love. Dr. Calderon and Dr. Monteregro, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Tan. It's always a pleasure being here with you. And uh, we look forward to your questions and your guidance. And yes, we love this book. So we're, we're ready to roll. Right, Hector? Absolutely. It's, our, it's fantastic. People just love it. And it's uh, really uh, uh, impacting a lot on the practice right now. Well, before we get to the book, could you give us a context of your current projects or work? Sure, sure. I am currently working with 29 schools, 19 in North Carolina and 10 in Texas. Uh, my team is helping me out. Hector is one of uh, my team members. Uh, but what we do is uh, we, we train teachers at a school. So we go school by school by school. And at each school, we started out with vocabulary. Uh, you're familiar with the seven steps. So we're teaching them the seven steps, discourse, and what vocabulary really does in terms of reading comprehension. And then after we train the teachers at a school, we coach all of them, all of them. So there are four coaches at a school. Uh, at the same time on the same day. Uh, all of this is virtual, of course. Yeah, it's all virtual. 
-hmm. So that's that's what I'm currently working on. Yeah. Um, I, and, you know, it, it's been a wonderful experience to integrating the social and emotional aspect. I've been working with uh, CASEL, that's a collaborative for academic and social emotional learning for over 10 years, and work with uh, both large scale district implementation, as well as uh, school and even within the classroom. And uh, partnering with Margarita in language and literacy is just a perfect fit because we can't divorce and separate the social and emotional aspect from learning. And we're gonna be talking a little bit more about that, but I also have several projects that I do nationally and internationally, uh, specifically focusing on developing curriculum, implementation strategies, uh, pedagogy regarding the uh, explicit instruction of social emotional learning, and uh, especially with Margarita, the integration in language and literacy. I think it's, we're going back to Dr. Cushion's work where he talked about effective filter. Like we can't just teach language development. We, it, it went without students buy-in, without students feeling comfortable. So your book is perfectly uh, connected to a foundational work of Dr. Krashen. Let's talk about, can I ask you to both share stories from your practice that has really uh, impacted your practice today? Well, I, I'm gonna tell you that there's just a number of um, experiences that uh, we both have had, uh, both directly in the classroom as well as uh, large scale venues and presentations. Uh, recently, I worked with a district outside of Chicago and their ELs, it's actually probably about 80% um, ELs and Latino students. And what, were, what they said was happening is that during the pandemic, the children uh, were third, fourth grade, uh, actually fourth and fifth graders. They came into this uh, middle school as sixth graders and it, it, they didn't have a very good onboarding uh, practice. Uh, basically what they wanted to do is quote, get back to normal. But the children had been emotionally traumatized. And as a result, that they were exhibiting uh, behaviors in which they could not regulate their emotions. They were using abusive language and also being physically uh, abusive towards one another, towards teachers, uh, not adhering to any kind of standards because they had been out of school for almost two years. And those are really critical formative years. Uh, so recently, I spent uh, several days working with the faculty and staff to reorientate them toward trauma-informed instruction, the practices of the core competencies of social-emotional learning. And then the uh, last week, I spent uh, two days working with those sixth graders. And I'm going to tell you, it, I have never seen so many children that are stressed out, that are frustrated, that, are, that have anxiety attacks. And, uh, but yet we had to do uh, engaging interactive activities to help them recalibrate and reorientate their social skills and relationships because those formative years, they were not with their peers. They did not have a variety of adult role models. And yet uh, the teachers thought that they can get right back into teaching and it just didn't happen very well. So uh, as a result of some of the uh, activities, uh, we integrated language and literacy. We wanted the students to write a little bit more. I have a few examples I'll be sharing with you later on. But the fact that they, uh, the segue into the, the, the mind is through the heart. 
And, and that is a, an experience I saw firsthand just, just this last week with uh, almost 400 sixth graders. We divided into separate groups and that was just a powerful experience and how uh, teachers thinking they can get back to normal where students were not ready to get back to normal academically and the urgency and the critical need for educators to be a little bit more empathetic, compassionate, and also equipped to address some of these uh, emotional trauma that, that these students, all of our students have gone through. That's such a notable quote. I wrote it down. You said the path to the head is through the heart. And that's um, just a beautiful quote. So thank you for that. Dr. Margarita Calderon, would you like to share as well? Yes, I, I have. Um, I, I have sort of a micro experience, little story to tell. We've been observing teachers, as I mentioned, we're coaching them and we're, we go into the classroom for 15 minutes to observe how they pre-teach vocabulary using the seven steps, which I'm sure you and others are familiar with, the, those seven steps. But what is happening now is that the teachers actually set up with some of the social emotional or social, we call them social norms and how to conduct during the seven steps, how to practice with a peer during step six, they need to use the word 10 times or so in a sentence, in their own sentence. And so they, they prepare the students on how to be, um, respectful, responsible, and most of all, how to keep on trying. If they get stuck, they have to keep on trying. They can't give up. And so these are some of the things that we observe. So when the camera zooms in on, on different um, students, pairs of students, when they're working together, we see them how they are trying really hard to stay engaged, to, to do their task. And um, uh, just like in uh, pairs or cooperative learning, the, the students that work together think together, learn more together. Mm -hmm. So they're learning vocabulary, they're, they're learning how to work together, they're, they're learning the content. There's just a lot of learning going on in those 60 seconds. It's only 60 seconds uh, for step six, and it's, it's fabulous to see that. Yeah, and I, and I really would like to add that um, there is a silver lining around this pandemic because in working with Margarita on the virtual coaching, I mean, we can coach eight teachers and also give them feedback in one day. Uh, you know, in person, that's really difficult to do. But at the same time, she has really designed this virtual coaching platform in which there is only one skill one strategy, in this case, the seven steps, in which the teacher sets up their cameras, uh, usually in their laptop or their computer, where they, we can both see not only the teacher teaching, but also the classroom interaction, and then have a quick turnaround time 
in which uh, they receive uh, the feedback. Just a powerful, powerful uh, coaching strategy that I think it's, uh, you know, we, we just need to really advocate for that a little bit more because uh, teachers only are concerned about that one strategy, not all the other things that we look at when we evaluate teachers. So I thought that was pretty effective and very powerful uh, resource for even administrators. When I read uh, work on, re on research for vocabulary, it's often used, usually Dr. Beck and McGowan and their, their, uh, their colleagues, but I also see yours, actually Seven Steps, as cited most often besides theirs. I'm like, oh yeah, I know who she is. So <laughs> let's move to talking about your book. Let's talk about chapter one. Can you define SEL for listeners and why we should teach it to long-term English learners? Mm -hmm. I'll right. let Echo start with that. <laughs> well, I, I'm actually going to share with uh, share screen because it's uh, just as much as uh, information as well as visualization. What does it look like? We, we really do, I think, do uh, SEL injustice by trying to explain it. But actually seeing it and uh, experiencing it is where we, I think, you know, the, the rubber meets the road. So in this case, the, the question is, what is social and emotional learning? And uh, I want to emphasize the fact that these children have this, this visual has a very powerful message. First of all, it's a very diverse group of youngsters, diverse group and not just one particular population, SEL applies across the board. Sometimes we think in, in certain circles that, well, we gotta fix those kids, you know, those poor kids or this population or that population, or, you know, we, we have to help them regulate their emotions. But what we're missing the mark is that that creates a uh, very segregated and uh, inequitable cultural environment regarding SEL. And that's where SEL is getting a bad rap. But here, these children are not only putting their hands in the circle, as you can notice, it's a very diverse group. And when I share this with faculty and staff, I say, this did not happen by accident. It really requires adult facilitation skills and adult understanding of the impact that when you create a learning environment, that brings children together to interact, that is SEL in practice. Just like Margarita's talking about, that's step six. It's children need to learn how to ping pong, how to share, how to listen. There's so many social and emotional skills that go into a simple uh, focus on vocabulary that teachers miss that opportunity. It's not about just get together with a friend and then you know share the vocabulary. It's facilitating the possibility of your English learners being paired intentionally with your English dominant students, helping the English dominant students learn compassion, learn empathy, learn inclusion. And when that does happen effectively, there's a lot of bonding that occurs. And so when we look at children that uh, bring, you know, their, who they are and, and they bring what they have to the classroom and when teachers can facilitate the interaction, there is a lot of joy at all grade levels, not just elementary, but even in high school. Uh, so we have the traditional or at least the, uh, the framework that what we call the castle wheel that focuses on 
that self-awareness, and there's <clears throat> a definition of that there, but <clears throat> that self-awareness is uh, the point of departure, is we were born into a culture, we were born into a language, but at the same time, it's also that self-management, being able to regulate and uh, traditional teaching styles, it's very hard to change, but it, our children demand that. So it's not whether or not we feel comfortable in teaching the traditional way and getting back to normal, it's whether or not we can adapt to the current needs and demands of children. The social awareness, teaching them children how to value diversity and how to be more inclusive, the relationship skills. When I meet with students, students, I ask students, tell me a little bit about what are the things that really uh, bother you the most and the areas you need the most help. Number one, the students say, we want to make friends. We're scared to death. We don't know how. And in the same breath, they always say, adults don't help us. Adults don't help us. So they sit there and suffer in silence. So those relationship skills, it's not only about the students, but it's about adult ability to help facilitate and also themselves to establish positive working relationships with their colleagues. Now, those four core competencies, the first two are intrapersonal, uh, the blues are interpersonal, and the green uh, go together, the, the blue and the uh, red go together to help us make responsible decisions that are in the best interest of children. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that means when it comes to actually academic integration. So that's just kind of like a, a 30,000 foot uh, definition of SEL. <laughs> yeah, and, and just to um, add to that, and to connect to instruction, going back to the seven steps and step number six, when teachers become aware of all of those subcomponents of SEL, then uh, they have a clearer picture as to why it is so important to set up instruction at the beginning. And, but also when you get to spots like step number six, this is where we want to observe the, the children or the big students in high school, um, be civil to each other, learn to be civilized, learn to empathize while they are also being very mindful of all the, those cognitive processes that are going into in their minds. Yeah, it's just going back to that castle framework, the, it's just, it just makes, social emotional learning so clear because there's aren't these like thousands of things to think about. It's just the five competencies of social emotional learning. And I love the way you integrate it right there with uh, your seven steps. It's about, yes, we have strategies and protocols to help students interact because the students who work together, learn together, but we can't just say, okay, turn and talk and then do this. We have to actually teach the human interaction skills that they need. And this is where Castle comes in. Let's talk about uh, why should we teach uh, social emotional learning to long-term English learners? Oh, that's a toughie. Uh, <laughs> well, just think of long-term males. They have been in school since kindergarten, first grade. They have been totally ignored. They haven't been taught well the, the quality 
of instruction hasn't been there. Once they were labeled immediately, first grade, second grade, they were already long-term males by then. And so they've had to deal with this, this heavy, heavy weight of knowing that they're not as good as everybody else, that they'll probably won't do well in life, might not even graduate from high school. I mean, and, and so others stay away from them. The relationships are not happening and they no longer know how to behave. In fact, unfortunately, some of them find uh, friends in the wrong places uh, because they, they're so isolated. And so, you know, that's where my heart goes out to the long-term males. Absolutely. You know that uh, I had mentioned earlier about intentionally pairing students together. I've been in classrooms where teachers go, okay, get together with a partner. Half of the class will get together with their buddies and the other half will just sit there. And then uh, they become the victims. They, those students are just basically uh, looked at as, well, they don't want to participate in education. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a deficit in terms of facilitation skills on the part of teachers. And so when we look at teaching long-term EL social-emotional skills, that's just half the picture. It's teaching all students, all students, not just fixing those LTELs to, you know, uh, excel academically, but it's really the fact that a classroom culture and environment impacts the level of motivation for students to want to participate and to feel safe. So when we oftentimes notice that your uh, EL students are literally suffering in silence, they're sitting there, they're quiet. I've heard teachers say, well, they're good kids. They just sit back there and you know they don't cause a problem. Well, it is a big problem because they're not even learning. They're not even engaged. And uh, the more that the teacher ignores them, the more that their peers will ignore them, their English speaking peers. So we really look at the uh, complete picture of how SEL can benefit all students, not just your LTELs, but your LTELs also need that extra opportunity to, to develop self-confidence, that extra opportunity to experiment with language, not only in an academic form, but also in a social context. And this is where we look at, are they inviting these students into a social context in which they can experiment with language? Can they experiment with relationships and learn another culture? But the more that we segregate them or allow them to be segregated, then the least opportunities they have to really learn the dominant culture, or in this case, maybe a school culture and climate, and begin to be more confident in participating and engaging not only in academic activities, but also school-related events. So I'm going to tell one story, and this is Loudoun County. <laughs> Margarita had a terrific contract with Loudoun County for many years, mm -hmm. uh, and they implemented uh, the Excel strategies, the language and literacy implementation, but there, there was a, an assistant principal there uh, that uh, was really concerned. I mean, 
dedicated and committed to implementing the strategies in all of the ESL and content area classes. But what happened was there were a group of seniors, and she said that this happens frequently, that they not only did not participate in any kind of senior projects as a part of their graduation requirement, but also they weren't participating in the prom. And of course, the uh, superficial perception is, oh, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to engage. No, they did, but they're scared to death and they didn't have the resources. So without adult guidance, uh, they continue to not be engaged. So basically she discovered that some of these students are very talented artists, an amazing group of youngsters that had this uh, impressive ability to uh, do artwork. Uh, and uh, so they latched on uh, to these projects on school beautification that was, was amazing. And I'm gonna show a quick picture of that school beautification project. So they started decorating the hallways, the restrooms, even uh, uh, painting uh, the benches in the, uh, the courtyard. I, I was stunned by the magnitude of, of this project and how this impacted on the students. And so you can see here, this student started uh, painting the Office of Safety and Security. It says, uh, whenever we begin to feel as if we can no longer go on, hope whispers into our ears to remind us that we are strong. Look at the artwork, look at the graphics, also in the cafeteria. It says, throw kindness around like confetti. Unbelievable. And the number of students that really participated. We are all stars, but we must learn how to shine. In um, the boys' bathroom, when you feel like quitting, think about why you started. Also, the girls, uh, the cafeteria girls' bathroom, mirror, mirror on the wall. There's a leader in us all. And then also kindness changes everything. So these are the things that they did as just by one, one administrator, one person connecting them to a senior project, the courtyard beautification was outstanding. And, and it's just really impressive as to the impact it made. As a result, uh, they were able to raise funds to pay for their prom outfits and they went to the prom. I mean, it brings tears to me. Just think, isn't that right, Margarita? When we heard that story, it's like, oh, you yeah. Know, yes. Academics, but also the social emotional context is so critical. And they were so motivated. Mm -hmm. oh, it was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. In addition, we, there's a, a, a teacher there, the ESL teacher, and we interviewed her and we, we asked her, how do you get your, your newcomers to graduate in four years? in this high school. And, and she said, well, we, we have this intervention, we have that and that and that. She said, but I reach out to my colleagues, the other teachers to, to help them understand what it means to be a newcomer. And she says, not only that, she says, I had to become a cheerleader for them. I had to cheer them on and show the other teachers how to be cheerleaders for newcomers. So that's something else that they're doing. They're being cheerleaders for the newcomers and, and it's fantastic. So they, they do graduate, they get excited, they're motivated 
And, and that's what they need. That's what they need. Lots of love. So thinking about the connection between both of your stories is that SEL is not just raising students' ability to engage with school. It's the equity issue. Right. It's helping us see kids differently so they can participate, so they, they, we can draw on their skill sets where they can beautify their school, where when we draw on, when we make them feel comfortable, they're going to graduate in four years. And so this is the connection. It's really, it's not just we want kids to develop these social emotional skills. We want students to um, have the most equitable learning experiences, and SEL is part of that. I noticed in your slide, you also talked about culturally responsive instruction. It's so connected mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. uh, social-emotional learning. Yeah, I do have a, a visual for equity, and there's been a lot of debate, not only in the definition, but uh, we kind of uh, uh, beat the drum, and equity is this, and equity is that, and yet we walk into the schools where quote, equity, you know, we, we emphasize equity and access, but we're not providing support. So just throwing kids into AP classes or trying to, you know, mainstream kids uh, prematurely, then what happens is that they eventually get lost or they eventually drop out or they eventually lose uh, the motivation. But when we provide the support, and uh, this is one visual that really, to me, brings it home, because it, it's not only about talking about equity and access, but it's about engagement. It's about engagement. It's about giving students opportunities to participate in different forms. You know, sometimes I see at the national news level, uh, this Down syndrome child makes the cheerleading team. Yeah, of course, but it was so emotional. But also all children, all children that are maybe even least likely to participate in the social context, but they need to be invited. They need to be brought in. They need to be, uh, instead of being competitive and individualistic, it is a collective form in which students thrive when they feel safe, when they feel included. You know, I can be a pitcher, even though I don't know how to pitch, or I can play first base, or I can bat. The fact that they get that opportunity to participate and engage, not just athletically, but also in the classroom. Uh, Margarita has this numbered heads together. Oh, my God, that is SEL at its best, where students will construct questions based on the Bloom's taxonomy and maybe a team of four or five. Every single one of them needs to know what the questions and the answers are. And everyone has a number and she calls a number and you don't know who's going to be the spokesperson rather than choose the one that's the most proficient, you know, choose a leader in your group. It is really kind of a, a random thing. But the fact is that they all have to prepare each other to represent the group. To me, that was I was stunned. The first time I saw that, I said, wow, that is one of the most powerful uh, SEL practices I've ever seen. And inclusion also, even if the student is an EL, the rest of the team helps them with the language to represent the group. I mean, you know, the first time I really saw that, I saw Margarita, oh my God, this is just really amazing. <laughs> you know, there's so much SEL into this thing. We just need to call it out so everybody understands. There's language and literacy and academic focus. Yes, it is social and emotional. It's not just cooperative learning, but it's engaging responsibility and uh, uh, equitable.
right? It's collaborative. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's inclusive. So you talked about that as a strategy. Can we move to chapter three, which is talking about how do we integrate SEL into our instruction? Well, I think we gave you a couple of examples. Uh, the one that Hector just um, talked about, and then I gave the seven steps. Every inch of the way, everything that we do in class has a space, has a spot where we can teach something. Uh, as a follow-up to the numbered heads together that Hector was, was sharing, right after they write their questions and, and one team uh, calls a question and then the other teams have to answer. Um, right after they, when they stand up to answer, one person from the team that wrote the question takes notes. How does that one student answer? And they record all the positive things you know, whether, oh, you answered in a complete sentence. I love the way you used tier two words twice. Uh, you started your, your answer with nevertheless. And so they, they give positive feedback to all the ones that were randomly selected. And so they have to stand up and use uh, academic English, of course. But uh, getting feedback from the team teaches the team members how to give feedback in, in a very positive way and to be very cordial to, to their peers. And of course they know that they're gonna give them feedback as well later on. So, so they're definitely going, going to be very nice to each other, but it's a teaching situation. It's a moment to teach them that they can do this. They can use positive speech, they can be uh, empathetic, they can be cordial, they can be forgiving, you know, all those things that we want students to learn how to do. I liked how you said, I, um, let me say it in a different way. You said every single opportunity to teach is an opportunity to integrate SEL as well, right? So um, I'm thinking about right now, I'm working with my sixth graders and eighth graders in the writing children's books. And sometimes I'll have students like uh, turn, turn to their partner and read the section that they just wrote. And then um, I feel like I, when I'm more, most aware, I'll, I'll ask the students to say, please find the most descriptive sentence and, and share with your partner why you like that sentence. Right? And um, that just changes, that makes the, the writing more authentic for students because they know there's an audience, but it makes that they feel really great that they uh, are, are celebrated and lifted, but also it's teaching students, oh, this is how you interact with people. When you look at someone's work, you first praise their work. Oh, that's excellent. Lovely. Yes, that's SEL, totally. <laughs> yeah, even, even the point that you make about turning to a partner, to me, that is a uh, major um, challenge for teachers because uh, what happens if you only allow students to self-select, they will segregate themselves and you defeat the whole purpose. So one of the things that I have uh, uh, been really impressed, especially with the integration with language and literacy, just a simple tool such as the clock buddies where students have to get up and find a buddy that they don't know very well or the teacher can facilitate 
the English dominant with the uh, uh, English language learner or the struggling learner. So you don't have social segregation even within the classroom. But there's another tool, it's called the Academic Vocabulary Buddy. And uh, Margarita and I were in a, a community in, in Milwaukee and we were walking around the school and visiting classrooms and there was a lot of challenges. This was high school, right? Well, I happened to walk into a classroom and uh, students were in all the other classrooms that were arriving late, but this particular uh, um, ESL classroom, 25, 26 students were already in their seat by the time the bell rang. And as soon as the teacher said quadrilateral, they all got up and started talking uh, according to the prompt that was on the, uh, the whiteboard, just working together. It was like, magic. I said, what, what did you just do? And she says, well, I just had this spreadsheet where I had the vocabulary for the week. And on the right side, you can see there's a blank. So students got up just like with a clock buddy. They say, okay, will you be my quadrilateral buddy? They put their names in that blank. Then they go to the next one, trapezoid. So they have to use that vocabulary word when they partner with their buddy. And uh, when the teacher calls the word, then that's the buddy they have to uh, seek out. And again, encouraging them to get to know each other. Part of that castle wheel relationship skills has to be facilitated by teachers, not find a partner or your elbow buddy. It's okay once in a while but not, not all the time, because what happens, again, you, you have a socially segregated classroom. One of the worst things we can do is say, uh, go find a partner, because the kid who doesn't have a partner is going to feel really left out. And they usually mm -hmm. go towards their friends, and then there's always a person left, and they always feel like no one likes them. Yeah. And, and so yeah. The, your, the clock buddies, but also that um, integration of that, like, quadrilateral and then uh, buddies, so it's really Academic helpful. Vocabulary. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And they could use this with science. They could use this like, oh, oh, okay, find oh, your, something. right, mm -hmm. find like your cyanobacteria buddies for today. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's move from uh, that broad question of SEL instruction uh, integrated with general instruction to moving towards chapter five, which is about reading instruction. How do we integrate uh, quality reading instruction with SEL as a gift? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, the one uh, reading instructional strategy that has the most power and has the best research for English language learners is partner reading. Yeah. After the students have practiced vocabulary in pairs, then they continue with their partner reading. By then, they have learned pretty much how to work together effectively. So when they start their partner reading, one student, let's say student A reads the first sentence and student B reads the next sentence and then A and then B. When they get to the end of a paragraph, they stop and they summarize together. That entails going back into the paragraph which is fine because we want them to go back and reread, don't we? We're always saying, well, you have to go back and reread and find uh, all the important information. So together they go back into that paragraph and pretty soon start to say, okay, well, I think this is important. Um, oh, I think our teacher is probably going to ask a 
about this. So we better remember that. So let's put our little summary together and then move on to the next paragraph. So there's a lot of talking. Students are not talking enough. Uh, they're not reading, of course, they're not reading enough, but they're not talking either. Everything seems to be written. Well, write your summary on the margin or write your summary on a piece of paper or you know, do a drawing or something. If they're not articulating those summaries, the new vocabulary, the content and the concepts that they're reading about, it's not going to stay in their little old heads or in their big heads and <laughs> it, it will disappear. And so talking, talking, talking is very much a part of that social discourse that they need to develop. But now we're combining with reading, we're combining content, uh, cognitive processing, metacognitive processing, as well as, as language. Uh, and all of that means that they're applying a lot of SEL competencies mm -hmm. in order to do higher level metacognitive processing with a peer verbally, it entails a, a, a lot of SEL uh, competencies. And, and so that's a perfect example. And that's why when teachers use partner reading with summarization after each paragraph, they see that the students accelerate their learning exponentially, but they also learn to read. They learn to read closely, uh, reading comprehension with depth of comprehension, not just superficial reading. Unfortunately, in the past few years, as we all know, in the past few years, students have not really been taught to read with comprehension. They read fast and we time them or they read superficially and they fill out worksheets, right? But do they really process the information? Do they really retain that information? No. Uh, and, and so reading has to take a very different course at this point in time. We know it's not just for uh, long-term males or newcomers or English learners, multilingual learners. It's every student in the classroom because this year, every student is a SIFE, student with interrupted formal education. Wow. And the one thing that they're lacking is reading skills, reading skills. And um, if, you know, if every teacher would apply partner reading, summarization, even in high schools, then that would work uh, really well. And I have another little story from Loudoun County, <laughs> our, our favorite high school. Uh, the AP teacher, the advanced placement teacher who only had two English learners, but the whole class was AP. They always did partner reading mm -hmm. and summarization. And guess what? They aced the SAT scores. They got 
great grades. It, it, it was just fabulous, fabulous. So it's for all students, all grade levels. And it's really for all content areas because it's really like if you think about reading, you didn't say that protocol is not just for reading uh, for like English class. It's for <laughs> science class. When you read a science article, when you read a uh, like an uh, art critique, when you read um, uh, like a an article from a designer, like you can really <laughs> use that. The goal of having students read to understand, but applying that 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 strategy of partner reading. And mm -hmm. then it, it adds the extra benefit of SEL all together into that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to uh, share with you what it looks like. Here, here is a sample of uh, adults learning how to do partner reading. Uh, I, I think we realize that you can't just tell adults that students have the partner read if they don't practice as well. And that's a really big challenge because if they're not comfortable with it, it's just not going to happen in the classroom. And so the more opportunities. Uh, this is a picture of high school students doing partner reading. And at first, uh, this particular uh, uh, situation, the students did not want to do that activity. And before you know it, uh, once they got to know each other and broke down those barriers, they realized that it is interdependent. And that's not the culture that we teach in the classroom. It's very independent, competitive, and and in many cases, just centered on the, the individual learner. So, uh, Margarita and I traveled to Saudi Arabia and we did some work in Saudi Arabia. And here are some Saudis doing partner reading. <laughs> we, <laughs> I don't have any pictures of the women because they didn't let us take pictures in there. But th these are all of the uh, curriculum coordinators, the academic leaders throughout the country. We, we had an opportunity to work with them. And Margarita was working with the ladies and I was working with the men. So yeah, it is a powerful strategy that's done at all levels internationally. <laughs> I want to uh, re reference Dr. Marshall's, uh, Elaine Marshall's work, Elaine Marshall, who works with SLIFE students. And she talks about um, a lot of students who are multilingual students come from um, communi community-based uh, uh, cultures, right? Collectivist cultures. <laughs> And mm -hmm. instead of where we, we say, okay, the culture of our school is you read independently, you write independently. Why don't we mirror our reading instruction, writing instruction to match what they're used to, where they read, where they co collaborate together. And so what, what a perfect way to honor students' cultures as well. Speaking of writing, which is chapter uh, six, can you talk about how can we integrate writing and SEL together to expedite learning? Mm-hmm, c'est shows. It's the same thing, lo mismo, <laughs> right, right. And so we're taking a pair of students from vocabulary to reading. Now it's time to write. And pairs of students or even in teams of four, they can draft something through a round table of writing, write around. And after they draft, thank you, uh, each student will contribute to this uh, team paper. And uh, once they, they complete about a whole page, then uh, they move on to editing and revising. But here is where they learn how, again, all those competencies, because they need to know that everyone is col collaborating. You can't really pass 
you have to contribute, you have to be resilient and, and add something. If, you know, the newcomer has trouble thinking of something that he or she read, then uh, the teacher can either provide a table tent with some of the words that they'll be needing or give permission to the newcomer to even copy what the previous student has written just to make sure that they're contributing. And then they come up with a nice long uh, draft. Mm -hmm. I, feel that I feel so affirmed as a teacher. This is exactly the practice that I do when students learn content. Let's say they're learning about the Industrial Revolution. I share, uh, we'll walk through a video together about Industrial Revolution. I'll give them a writing prompt and students have to work together to write to answer that prompt. And so what I'll say is like, whoever has the idea does not get to write that idea down. Their partner has to write that idea down. So that partner is getting that writing experience, but that partner is also getting to synthesize information. Because often we'll say, before I used this strategy, it was like, okay, go go co-write your paragraph without structuring at the interaction at all. And only the most competent student would be writing the whole thing. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh no, what I, I need to really restructure this. And so that's what you're really talking about. It's co-writing just like co-reading structuring it to make it collaborative and not competitive. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Uh, individual accountability. This is where the individual accountability comes in uh, as well as uh, team accountability. And that's why we call them teams. We don't call them groups. It's not a group. A group could be anything, somebody standing on a corner. But a team, you know, they're trained to win. I'm thinking of a football team, baseball team. They are tr highly trained. They practice a lot. They're prepared. And that's what makes a, a, you know, a winning team because everybody wins, uh, individuals as well as, as the teams. So that's how the writing, uh, yeah, thank you. So this is what the writing looks like. And uh, as you can see, they're um, editing strategies. For instance, on the right, you'll see that the first word of every sentence it has been boxed so that they can see if there's a lot of repetition. Sometimes the students will, will start out every sentence with the, 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 or they, they, they. They need to become accustomed to use more, um, more tier two words like uh, additionally, furthermore, subsequently, moreover. And once they box, they go back and then they change for one of those tier two, two words. But um, Hector, you wanna tell them about the re revision? Look at the green spot there. Yeah, this is a cut and grow. So as the students participate in the write around, uh, then they can go back and do the editing and by cutting after a sentence in which they feel they can add additional information. So it, it, they literally cut uh, below the sentence, add a green sheet 
and then they can add additional information. They can cite research, they can uh, refer back to the source, whatever it is, is kind of cut and grow your document and then tape it back on. <laughs> and of course, you know, ultimately they will have a finished product. But here's one that uh, I think you'll enjoy. This is from Saudi Arabia. These are all of the, again, the, the academic leaders throughout the country that they were thrilled by this ride around. And I hate to say it, but the ladies uh, had a pretty impressive. <laughs> the, the one on the left of the, the men's and the one on the right, I don't know, Marguerite, I don't know what you did there, but they were very creative. <laughs> yeah, women, you know, women always want to outdo. <laughs> yeah. It was interesting because um, we weren't we weren't even observing each other. We were one was in a, one floor, the other group was on another floor, but uh, we could hear the excitement. Uh, we could hear the guys, and I'm sure they could hear us, ladies, women, uh, as they worked on on all of these strategies in preparation to go back and, and do some training in their own regions. Well, this has been, again, always such a, such a practical conversation. Every time you come along, uh, Dr. Margarita Cateron, you just make it so practical. But Dr. Hector, your visuals have been so helpful in making, really coming alive, showing us what SEL and language instruction really mm -hmm. looks like for long-term English learners. I, this is going to be a very uh, practical conversation and with the visuals. So thank you. Let's end the podcast with this. What would, what is one way we can start uh, integrating SEL with language instruction that you recommend a small step for teachers that they can do tomorrow? Well, I think the first thing is to um, learn what SEL is. Uh, we had a we we met with a school district, you know, brand new, brand new to us. And the first thing they kept asking uh, throughout all the different roundtables, well, what is SEL? <laughs> and it's important because everyone has sort of a different interpretation of this huge elephant. And, and so they need to spend time figuring out what is SEL. Then they also need to look at the instructional programs that they have, because if they want uh, SEL to work, then where are they going to integrate this into the strategies? And what kind of instruction is going on in the classroom? If a teacher in high school is only lecturing, where can you put SEL, right? Uh, or if the students in elementary school are mainly on the computers, where can you put SEL? So, so those are some of the uh, points of departure, I think. Absolutely, I agree with that 100%. And I, and I do think that during the summer break, I mean, school for the most part is over. This is a great time 
to reflect on your own practices and your own skills. And it's not about stopping doing what you're doing and doing something completely different. It's about enriching what you are doing in the context of student relationships, from student to student. How can we increase a student opportunity to speak to each other, to articulate their learning, their understanding, uh, practice language, and also student to adult relationships is also very important. Uh, we need to move away from this command and control mentality that has been embedded in our educational system for centuries and move into a more engaging, interactive, and even a compassionate learning environment because our children need us. Our children need uh, those adult role models that show that they really care about them and that they are patient and relationships are restorative. So if a, if a child has an emotional outburst, we tend to be punitive and, and exclude them and punish them and sus suspend them or refer them. But uh, what we wanna do is to practice that uh, sort of the trauma-informed education so that we can be proactive, first of all, and strengthen relationships help them understand that, you know, we're in this together. And if there is a sort of a misstep, uh, we restore the relationship. We repair the harm. We don't punish the child that perhaps has not been able to practice regulating their emotions. And uh, we facilitate conversations. Uh, and that's a whole different skill set, but it can be sort of evolved gradually and teachers can gradually introduce that within their instructional framework. But this is what the children need. It may not be what adults always feel comfortable with, but the children need that, right. especially they, now. Right, they really do. So I wanna say, I'm gonna say thank you with closing with these two words. Um, you, I'm gonna use your two words that you've said, restore and enrich. So um, you're really, your book really is about restoring equity for English learners through SEL and language instruction. And you are helping us enrich our practice through your book and definitely through this conversation. So Dr. Margarita Gauderon and Dr. Hector Montenegro, muchas gracias. <laughs> gracias a ti, como siempre. Una Virtual hug, un abrazo. <laughs> y un beso. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field. I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things that worked and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now onto our recap. The main thing I want to emphasize is that if we want students to be empathetic, rational and aware human beings, we have to teach them these skills explicitly but we do not need an extra class to do that or a new program. We just have to find ways to teach emotional intelligence as part of our language and literacy instruction. One way is to turn our reading and writing assignments into collaborative and interdependent ones. But remember, 
The key is to teach students how to interact with each other and not just assign the task and hope they will develop these skills gradually. SEL skills, like language and literacy skills, are best learned and developed intentionally and not left to chance. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode.